start by, by telling you a really awful ministry story. Um, how many of you have been to Nysum yet? All right, lots, lots of you. I love Nysum. I love being there. I love being in the city. I love not living in the city because I like green. Obviously, I live here in Lima. Um, but I love, I love being in the city. I loved Nysum so much that after I participated in Nysum, before I was a student here and while I was a student here, I went to the Albany area. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And every year I took a team to New York City, to Nysum, to do homeless outreach during the cold winter there. And this one particular year, it was probably 2004, 2005, something like that. We were there doing ministry, uh, homeless on the nights, but then on Saturday we did uh, a ministry with this church that street preached in Spanish Harlem. And so we were like getting geared up to go to Spanish Harlem, get with a microphone on the street corner and preach. So we were with this powerhouse little woman who oversaw this ministry. She went every single week. We're with her before we went to the streets, and she was just filling us in, filling our team in and what was going on, and we were mingling with her team. It was probably five or ten minutes before we left, and she said to me, so you guys are going to do a skit. And I'm like, yeah, we are. And in, on the inside, I was screaming, like, we don't have a skit. What do we do? So I, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? What, what skit do I do? And I'm trying to think of a skit that I do with a mix of youth and adults. We hadn't done a skit yet, and, and we didn't have one plan. I'm like, what can I teach in five minutes that we can then go on the street corner in Spanish Harlem and present to this crowd of people? And I'm like, doctor's office skit. That's the one. So if you've never seen the doctor's office skit, the way it ends up is there's this character who is waiting to see the doctor, and they came in with no symptoms. But, but as every other person came in, they gave this character all the symptoms that they had. So by the end of the skit, this dude is sneezing and coughing and shaking and scratching and screaming randomly. Some jumping jack stick stuck in there somewhere. It just you, If you're acting in a skit, you got to be crazy by the end of it. Anybody seen the skit before and know what I'm talking about? Anybody acted in that skit before and know what I'm talking about? It is painful, right? Painful acting in this thing. But I'm like, all right, we got our skit. It's easy. We can get it done. So we're there and we're ministering. And we're on the corner in Spanish Harlem, right around the corner from a methadone clinic. So a methadone clinic is where people go when they want to be treated to get off of heroin. And there's a crowd. There's people. We're preaching. There's people, there's people all around. And so we, we preach and we share testimonies and we do skits and we minister to people. And I'm like, as the skit's happening, people are gathered and there's, there's some stuff going on. I can't tell exactly what's going on because we're, we're ministering. And I'm, I'm like in it, Right. Back when, when I was a student here, we graduated 20 years ago this year. This is crazy. So when we were here, there was a class. It was called Missionary Preaching. And the class would preach on the front lawn in front of Spencer. And the goal was to preach no matter what. And the goal for the rest of the, the, rest of the campus was to distract them no matter what. So there would be people driving their trucks across the lawn, fronts. There was this one time this married couple went in front of the people, pre the person preaching, and was making out in front, no joke, just doing whatever they could to try to distract the person. And so this is what's in my mind as we're doing this skit, as I'm preaching, as I'm sharing testimonies. I'm like, I'm going. I'm just, I'm pre I'm, people are hearing the gospel. 
So I thought it was a win until I got in the van. This powerhouse little woman says, what was that? And I'm like, what was that? I, what are you talking about? And, and she said, you could have gotten your team killed. I'm like, what? What, what? what do you mean? She said, when you were doing that doctor's office skit, the people from the methadone clinic, all of the things that guy was catching, they thought you were making fun of them the symptoms that they have when they're coming off of heroin. I wanted to die. I told you it was a horrible ministry. Hopefully you learned something from this. Horrible. I felt like it was one of the most discouraging leadership moments that I'd ever had in my life. I don't know if you've ever, you've probably, I'm sure you've never experienced anything like that. God's grace was obvious. His protection was there. Could have been real bad. It wasn't. God's word was preached. Testimonies were shared. It was good because God was there. But I don't know if you've ever felt discouragement. I felt discouragement, crazy discouragement in that moment. Today, whether you're in a discouraged time in your life or whether you're encouraged today, we're going to get some encouragement from Psalm 46. Um, One of the most famous preachers ever, Charles Spurgeon, said this about Martin Luther that Martin Luther would look to Psalm 46 anytime he was, he was feeling discouraged. And um, 100%, you're going to get it by the end of this message when you hear what this psalm says. Now, before we get into the psalm, I want to take a, a moment to encourage you with something. I know as Bible school students, you hear some sermons. Like, you're in here a lot. And even when you're not in here hearing a sermon, you're in class hearing a sermon, right? You're surrounded by preachers all the time. And there is a good posture that you can take, and there's a great posture you can take when you're hearing a message, when you're listening to a sermon. You can take the posture of learner, or you can take the posture of receiver. Learner or receiver. It's good to be a learner. As a learner, you take in information, you hear the information through your ears, you consider it in your mind, you're reminded of something, you're taught something that's good, you hopefully learn something that's new. It's good to be a learner, but it's great to be a receiver. As a receiver, you get all of the benefits of being a learner, but you also get the benefit of heart change. Because what you're receiving isn't just information. It's not just changing your mind. It's changing your heart. It's changing your life. Because what you're receiving from your teachers and from your preachers is the Word of God. And the Word of God has the capacity, has the capability to change your life. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the word of God. So God's intention for us today isn't just to give us information, it's to give us impartations, to allow the word of God, which is alive and active, to change our hearts, Change our minds, change our lives, change our trajectory. Let's, let's allow his word to do what it can do in us. Let's be receivers this morning. Yes? Lord Jesus, we say yes to you. We come to you not just as learners, Lord God, but as receivers, Lord. We want to receive the heart change, the transformation that you want to bring to us today. Whether we're encouraged or discouraged, Lord God, we're, we're, we're receiving your encouragement today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we started by talking about discouragement. 
We know we need to look to the Lord for encouragement and courage when we're in a place of discouragement. So if that's, if that's where you're at, we're looking to Jesus together today. However, I'm going to take this even another step further. I believe that God doesn't just want us to receive encouragement. I, I believe that as we read this psalm, God wants to reframe our, our life, reframe our perspective. I believe he wants us to look at life through a new filter. So here's the reframing. I, I don't believe that God wants us to live in a place of discouragement. I believe he wants us to live in a place of strength and courage, confidence. It's okay if this morning you're feeling discouraged. All of us walk through seasons like that. That's, that's okay. I believe the Lord's going to use today to bring you encouragement. But I believe it's also God's intention for our norm to be courage, our norm to be joy, our norm to be peace, our norm to be expecting victory. This isn't the God who just gives us courage in the face of discouragement. This is the God who gives us victory in the face of defeat. He doesn't want us to just to live from discouragement towards encouragement. He wants us to live from encouragement, from courage, from a place of victory. And, and the picture that I got when I was processing this was, um, do you want to be a pauper who's looking at the, the castle and saying, someday I hope to visit there? Or do you want to live as a daughter a son of the king who already lives there. You are a, a daughter. You are a son of the king. You already live there. Let's live like we live there. All right, now, that being the, the context and kind of the, the way that I want us to look at this scripture, let's, let's start. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in trouble. We're going to go through this real slowly, one or two verses at a time. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Have you experienced this to be true? A very present help in trouble? I have. I mean, I think of that, the story I started the message with. Oh my goodness, like God was very present. I didn't even give you the whole story. Sometime, sometime maybe we'll sit down together and have lunch, and I'll give you the whole story. There's more to it. God was a very present help in trouble. Imagine how quickly that could have gone bad. I think of, I think of my son, Evan. Two examples of my son, Evan. He's my, he's my second born. He's 14 years old. When he was still in Melanie, we had an ultrasound done, and there was a spot of fluid on his brain that wasn't supposed to be there. And um, any of you who have a medical background, that's bad. When there's fluid somewhere that's not supposed to be, that's a sign of bad. So we went to prayer. Miraculously, God, God provided us another ultrasound the very next day. It was totally gone. They're like, we, we have no idea what they saw, but everything looks normal to us. Praise God. Another example with my son, Evan. Um, he was born with a birthmark. We had no idea it was there. It was a vascular birthmark. It was over his right eye, and it was so big and heavy and full of blood and fluid that it held his eye closed when he was born because the weight of it just, just pulled down on his face. And at three months old, we had to go to Boston to have surgery, to have it removed. If you see him today, I mean, he gets asked regularly, what did you do? Did you fall? He's like, no. I had a birthmark when I was three years old, or three months old, I got it taken off. God has been very present and walked us through situations when the end result is healing and when the end result wasn't the healing that we had hoped for. 
God is a very present help in all of our trouble, no matter what the income or the outcome is of that situation. Let's go to verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Selah. All right, Bible school students, what does Selah mean? Think about it, reflect, good. Pause, good. I like to, in this moment, I like to think about the Selah as meaning, oh yeah. Just bear with me a second. Let's, let's read this again. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, that's, that's what I want. That's how I want to read this, this word. Now, a lot of scholars agree with you guys, of course, that it means think about it, that it means pause, rest. I mean, the Psalms are songs, right? So... The writers of the Psalms would insert rests, just like writers of music insert rests. And the idea is pause. Think about it. Dwell on what you just heard. And hopefully the conclusion that you come to as you pause and think about it is, oh yeah, I agree. I agree with what was just written. I agree with what God just said. Therefore, we will not fear. Oh yeah. I don't know about you, but as I look at this verse, talking about the earth giving way, the mountains moved into the sea, when I, think about, when I think about a mountain, I don't think of something that moves. I don't, I don't think of something that is shakable. Mountain is one of the most stable, secure, solid things on the earth that I can imagine. But how many of us know that when, when there's things in your life that feel like they should be the most solid, secure, stable things in your life, there's sometimes they are shaken. Those things that feel like they should be the thing that you can stand on, the thing that you can rely on. That family member, that friend, that situation, that job offer, that pastor. I should be able to. But man, the thing that is most solid in my life is being shaken. It's in those moments where we need to take a whole lot of comfort in scriptures like this. Because in those times, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in all our troubles. And because of that, we do not need to fear. In the New Living Translation, these two verses say, So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. I love that version. I don't know about you, but that gives me, that gives me this thought, like, bring it on. Like, I can take whatever you got to throw at me, world, whatever you got to throw at me, enemy, I can take it. Bring it on. And it made me think, of a story, how many of you know Ben Gilzon? He was a, he's a graduate of EBI and C. He's a, a really good friend of mine. There's a story that he tells. He grew up in East Africa. The story he tells when he was a teenager, he was walking through the woods, and there was a canopy of trees over him, and as he's walking through the path in the woods, there were baboons that started following him in the trees. And baboons, cute, furry, right? Check out this, this picture of a baboon. Baboons started following him, circling him in the trees, and he knew they were surrounding him. And they're nasty. And he was alone. But he had a gun. But he didn't have enough bullets to take out all of the baboons. So you know what he did? He shot one, and he put the carcass 
on his shoulders and he walked the rest of the way out with a baboon carcass on his shoulders as a sign to the rest of the baboons, don't mess with me. Dude, bring it on. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I think about with this verse. Are you starting to see life through a new filter? I'm trying to reframe our perspective on life. Are you seeing this? We will not fear. All right, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, what is this talking about? There are different ideas of what Bible scholars think that the river in verse 4 is referring to. Some say that it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Some say that it's the grace of God. Others Others say that it's God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. But one thing that we can be sure of is that this river is intricately, intimately connected with who God is. It's inseparably linked to God himself. All right, so that's the river. Now, what is the city of God the psalmist is referring to? Here's the clue. It's the holy habitation of God Almighty. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. What is it? It's you. It's you, church. You are the holy habitation of God. You are the city of God. You are where he dwells. We know that. You're where he lives if you've invited him in. If you, if you haven't, you're in the right place. Today's your day. Whether that, that river we just talked about is God's Grace or his love or his Holy Spirit or if it's the word of God itself, our connection, the city's connection with that river, our connection with him is what makes us glad. Our connection with God is what makes us unshakable. You are the city of God. You are unshakable because he is in the midst of you. Isn't that crazy? He's here with you and in you. He's in your dorm. He's in your class. He's in the dining hall. He's at your job. He's at your home, wherever home is. Whether home is a place of peace or a place of turmoil, he's there. He's what makes you unshakable. Verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Again, I love this. I love this psalm. The scripture helps to reinforce what I was saying earlier, that God wants us to live from a place of victory, from a place of courage. The, the, the verse doesn't say, it does in other, other scriptures say things like this, but this verse doesn't say when he utters his voice, the mountains shake. It doesn't say he utters his voice, the land splits in two, or the mountains are thrown into the sea. This says, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Period. Okay, I don't know how many of you um, watched David Letterman when he, was, when he was on TV. He was one of the late show hosts. He had this, this bit that he did on his show, and it was called Will It Float? And so he'd have contestants on there, and he'd have random objects. He'd have a big tank, big tank of water, and they'd, they'd sing this, this stupid jingle, Will It Float? And, and then they'd toss things into the pool and see if they, it would float or not. It was really dumb, but really funny, too. So what I thought, I thought about that, that as I'm reading this, this psalm, and I thought, will it melt? Will it melt? 
generally, I don't think of the earth, dirt, trees, rocks, mountains, hills, valleys. I don't, I don't think of those as things that melt. And I know, I know magma, lava is melted rock. I, I get that. But you just got to get the picture that I got. So I, I need everybody to close your eyes. And I want you to picture God overlooking a vast landscape. And now picture God speaking. Just, we'll, uh, we'll pick one of the most powerful things he ever said. Three letters, two words. I am. God speaks, I am. And the whole vast landscape liquefies. You can open your eyes. Come on. That's crazy. You know what this tells me? That my God can do the impossible. His ability is so far beyond our understanding of the natural world. And he's my dad. He's my dad. I already live in in the castle. I am a prince. You are a prince or you're a princess. He's your dad. He's your king. He's the captain of your team. That God that liquefies the earth with the sound of his voice. Come on. You can put up that next picture. That's how I feel. Come at me, bro. Like, you got the real-life Aslan at your back. Come at me, bro. I got this. Nothing can shake me because God is with me. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Man, this this verse also talks about, let me pull this up. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. I don't know if you get the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. I'd recommend it. It's a great, great resource that helps you keep in touch with what is happening with Christians worldwide. Think of the nations raging. Think of North Korea. Think of China, Afghanistan, Iran, India, all the places that are the most dangerous places on earth for Christians to be. And think about our nation here raging in so many different ways. It can be super discouraging just opening the news app on your phone. But he utters his voice, the earth melts. There's no comparison. Let's look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. No human, no army, no nation can stand against the Lord. I think of Romans 8, 38 and 39, one of my other favorite chapters in the Bible. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No one can stand against the Lord. No one can take you away from him, out of his hand. He's your rock. Nothing can conquer our God. Nothing human, not demonic, nothing. How are you doing as a receiver this morning? 
Receive it. Receive it. This is the, the living and active word of God that wants to change your heart, that wants to change your perspective, that wants to reframe your life. Are you living for victory or are you living from victory? Today's the day to make a shift. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now this, this uh, next little bit is not based on a long word study or a textual study. It's based on my reading of this chapter. I believe there's a ton of contrast between the rest of the, the psalm until you get to this, this point. I want you to listen to it. I want you to close your eyes one more time with me and listen to this psalm. And then we're going to read this verse one more time. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's like, Ah, this whole, this whole psalm is like, my God is a consuming fire. My God is huge. You can open your eyes. And then verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Still. This is what I felt like God was saying as I read that, that verse. This is what I feel like he's saying to you today. I want my kids to know that I am a God of contrast. I'm not moved by storms, earthquakes, or hurricanes, neither real nor imagined. I'm not swayed by people's opinions nor by fear. I am moved by love. I am moved by compassion. I am moved by my goodness. I am moved by you. I want to give you a new picture. I want to show you a new way to live. It contrasts the life you've known or a life you'd expect, humanly speaking. It's a life of peace. It's a life of stillness in spite of the crazy the world throws at you. It's a life of joy no matter what may come. Embrace the contrast. Expect the contrast. One more quote before we read this last verse. This is from a website called The Christian Courier. This spiritual calm that God commands, the be still, does not come from a lack of troubles. It drives from a steady, deep reflection on the ways God has intervened in history on behalf of his people. So as your world crumbles around you, the call from Scripture is don't flinch in faith in God. Stand still. Not because of a self-made confidence. Not because you are the most composed person in the face of disaster. Not because you've seen it all. Be still because of what you know about God. It is God's past that provides calm for our future. 
Know that he is God. Know it, not merely intellectually, but practically, spiritually, and emotionally. He is your God. He is the ruler of kingdoms of this earth and the all-powerful creator of the universe. If you are the last man or woman standing, be still. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And very appropriately, the psalm ends with, oh yeah. If God is for us, who can be against us? The psalm just makes me want to shout, bring it on. Which is the title of the message today. Bring it on. We got this, sisters. We got this, brothers. To say our God is more than enough, and I am coming to a close here quickly, to say our God is more than enough is, is insulting. It's so insignificantly communicates who God is. It's like uh, an amoeba saying to an elephant, hey, you're pretty big. It's like a two-year-old saying to Einstein, yeah, you know some stuff. It's like, it's, it's ludicrous to say God is more than enough because it just doesn't even come close to communicating the greatness of our God. But what's true is that God is more than enough. He's bigger than any situation you could or ever will face. His goodness is greater than anything else you've ever experienced. His love reserves have never even been tapped. Though he supremely loves eight plus billion living people every moment of every day. His power is unmatched. His grace and forgiveness is always flowing. He's more than enough. Verse 1 talks about trouble, whether trouble is outside of you or inside of you, whether trouble is happening here at school or happening at home, whether trouble is in your past or in your future. The last verse of the psalm stands true. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He is our fortress. So here's here's the challenge. I want everybody to stand with me. Here's the challenge. Let's embrace a new frame of reference. Let's ask him to help us look at life through a new filter. Let's get really good at being still and knowing that he is God. Let's get really good at being still and recognizing he is there in our midst. Let's get really good at knowing when all else shakes, he's unshakable. Lord, we take just a moment to be still. You know every single thing that's happening in every single person in this room. You know every single trial, every single challenge, every single mountain that felt like a mountain that's un- unmovable, that's, that's now shaking in their lives. But God, regardless We recognize in this moment, Lord, you want to reframe our thinking. You want us to receive your word as living and active, as sharper than any two-edged sword. You want us transformed from the inside out, God, that we no longer look at life as 
problem after problem after problem after problem. But then we start looking at life as Victor, who walks in victory, who lives from victory. From win to win to win to win. From mountaintop to mountaintop. From glory to glory. Lord, we do pass through valleys, Lord, but we don't stay there. We head back to that mountain. Because of who you are. Because your river makes us glad. Us, the city of God. And we will not be moved. Lord, do a great and mighty thing in Elam Bible Institute and College. Mark each one of these students with your presence in a way that they can't ignore or hide as if they would ever want to. Lord, I thank you for the mighty women and men of God in this room. I thank you for the destiny that they have, Lord God. And that that destiny is not just then, but it is now. So Lord, we say yes again. We say thank you again. In Jesus' name.